I'm not sure if it ever occurs to you that there are some songs we sing and words we hear and we just take them for granted. And then every once in a while there's a song with a line that may seem a little weird to you. Uh, it's kind of like when we sing about uh, here, Lord, take mine Ebenezer. And it's not talking about Scrooge at all, but Ebenezer is a stone of remembering, uh, a time of commitment to God. Uh, well, we had such a song today uh, that may have seemed a little strong, strange to you if you're paying attention to the, to the lyrics. This isn't about vanity. This isn't about pride. But the writer of the song said, take my feet and let them be beautiful. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a prejudice that I have, and, and I don't mean to offend anyone here, but I don't find feet to be very beautiful. Uh, as a general rule, I think they may be the least attractive part of the human body. As a th- so, so I don't think he's saying, Lord, make my feet beautiful so I'll be cute uh, any more than, you know, I'm not going to pray, Lord, make my head no longer be bald. Uh, this is something very different. Just in case you don't know what it's talking about, let me share with you very quickly. Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 7. This will explain that line. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the songwriter is saying, When they write, make my feet beautiful for you, Father, let me be one to to spread your word. Let me be one who tells people of the salvation that Christ brings into our lives. So much different than I want cute feet. Lord, make my heart ready to serve you completely. It's such a beautiful passage of Scripture. And so now we come to... a. Another beautiful passage of Scripture from a different kind of perspective. Um, You may be aware that there are certain books that are included in some Bibles um, that uh, we do not recognize. Uh, One such book is the book of Sirach. And uh, while we do not believe the apocryphal book as Baptists, that it is scriptural, uh, it is one of those books that I think are are good to read every once in a while. And there's a passage out of Sirach that talks about the man we're going to be looking at today. And the man was the literally, the scripture says, the greatest king that Judah had. Now, I'm going to explain that because most of us think of David, the man that I mentioned that, but I'm going to explain why I say that. His name was Josiah, and he shows up in a part of the book of Sirach that is known as the praise of famous men. And listen to what that man had to say. And uh, Sirach was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish person. And he wrote, the name of Josiah is like blended incense prepared by the skill of the perfumer. His memory is as sweet as honey to every mouth and like music at a banquet of wine. He did what was right by reforming the people and removing the wicked abominations. He kept his heart fixed on the Lord. In lawless times, he made godliness prevail. Josiah's story is told both in the books of 2 
Kings and Second Chronicles. And we'll be looking at Second Chronicles today. Uh, and, and in Chronicles, his story is told in extremely glowing terms. Uh, it reveals a godly man who is actually beyond compare. Remember I said he's the greatest king? Listen what the book of Second Kings said about this man. And listen carefully. The writer of Second Kings wrote, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Did you hear that? When Josiah comes along, no other king in all of Israel's history, including David, had the heart that Josiah did to follow God completely and totally all the days of his life. No king before him, which would include David, and clearly no king after him, because the kings of Israel uh, by that time, by and large, were really not godly men at all. Now, what may surprise you about this man is that he took the throne at the the ripe old age of eight. He was eight years old when he became the king of Judah. Now, undoubtedly, because of the way he lived his life, it's clear that as a little boy, he had some godly advisors who influenced him, who pointed him toward following God. And folks, that is so important. Uh, Every little child we have the possibility of speaking the truth of God's love into, we need to take that time. Well, by the time he's 16, Josiah makes a conscious decision on his own. And it's described in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3, when Josiah decided to seek the God of his ancestor David. So at 16, Josiah is now able to say, I want to be a king like David. I want to follow God. And we know that he actually surpassed that. By the time he was 20, He was very angry at what he was seeing going on in his land. There was a lot of idolatry. And he launched a major effort to eradicate the pagan high places and images from Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, This is a little rule of thumb if you're reading 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles. If you ever see a king who got rid of the high places, that guy's a great king. There are a lot of kings who brought some kind of reform But the high places were the places way out in the fields, hidden places where the people of Israel would go and worship false gods. And he got rid of them in Jerusalem and Judah. When he was 26 years old, still wanting to make a difference among his people, he launched a project to cleanse the temple of the Lord and to repair it. And that story is told in 2 Kings Uh, 22, as well as the book of Chronicles. Shaphan, the king's advisor, was the one who oversaw the project. He commissioned the work. Hilkiah was the priest who actually led in the cleansing of the temple. And when they were cleansing the temple and repairing it, Hilkiah found what is known as the Book of the Covenant. Now, we don't know with any with 100% certainty what that means. I will tell you, most scholars believe that it was either all of the book of Deuteronomy or a portion of the book of Deuteronomy. 
And there's some scholars will even argue it was the whole Pentateuch, all five books of Moses. If it was part of the book, it is apparently a part that deals with the covenant and the idea of remaining pure. But when Shaphan reads this book of the covenant to Josiah, Josiah had a very powerful response. He tore his clothes. Now in Israel, the ripping of a garment is one of the strongest signs of utter and total mourning and brokenness. He heard what God's Word said His people should be. He saw what His people were, and it destroyed Him. It tore Him apart. And He's ripping His clothes, and He's crying out to God for some kind of of repentance and hope in life. He was in deep mourning because he saw how Judah had failed. Well, then this king called together, in the passage that Natalie read, he called the people of Jerusalem all together, a massive crowd of people. And there he was going to read to them. But before that took place, to make absolutely certain he understood what God was saying, he sent word to a prophetess. Now, we don't know why he didn't send. Jeremiah was working at the time. Why he did not send to Jeremiah. Uh, but Huldah lived right next door to, to Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah was a little bit further away. That may have something to do with it. And the prophetess told him, everything you are broken about is right. The people of Judah have gone too far. And God is going to judge them. And if you read the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah very carefully, you will see it was his same conclusion. Even though he was calling people to repent, Jeremiah knew that Judah was going to be judged. And now Huldah says Judah is going to suffer. All of those curses in the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't do what I say, the plagues of Egypt are going to fall on you. All those kinds of things are going to happen. But then she sent a very particular message to Josiah. But you, because your heart is right with the Lord, because you responded to what you heard in repentance and pain, God will not let the judgment happen while you're on the throne. And you will go to your fathers in peace. So he calls the crowd together and he wants them to hear what he heard. And he did a public reading of the book of the covenant. And at the end of it, Josiah led the people of Judah into a covenant before God. And a reform broke out. Now, It didn't last long. When Josiah dies, the people of Judah went back to the same old ways. But for a time, about 13 years of his reign, after the covenant was made, Judah experienced some of the happiest, most peaceful and godly type days of their lives. I bring Josiah and his story up 
Because we are in need of a turn to God that will awaken his people in our land. We desperately need to follow the path that this great king, this boy king, grow up to be a godly king, the greatest in Judah, without such a turn. If we don't turn, we have little hope. So I want us to listen to a text today. A text that signals awakenings beginnings. What happened in Josiah's life and among his people that bought for Judah a time of peace? And the story is told in Second Chronicles 34, verses 29 through 33. And I want you to listen again, both ears and your heart, what God said and did among his people. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that have been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from the following the Lord, the God of their fathers. In this text, Josiah led a covenant renewal with the people of the Lord. And with all of the rapid changes that are happening in our world, when we take a look around, the deterioration in character, in morality, in compassion, and in faith, we need to pay attention to Josiah's story. I believe the children of God in America need to heed God's call to renewal. Well, how is it going to start? How will an awakening of God that changes us begin? Well, in our text, when we look at Josiah, we will find several elements of the beginning of awakening. And these elements show up not just in the story of Josiah and Judah, but when you look historically at the awakenings of God throughout time, both biblically and in the modern world, you will discover these elements. They are part of every awakening that I know of that has ever occurred. So let's listen, okay? And we begin the very first element. Conviction of need is awakened through the Word of God. 
We don't even know what's wrong with us unless we know the Word. As I prayed earlier, there are people whose lives are broken and they don't have an answer to why. They don't know what's going on. They don't see what's going on. They don't get it. They need to turn to the Word. And when you see this young king who started out wanting to follow his advisor's words, wanting to be like David, starting a process of cleansing, we see something happen with Josiah. Because Josiah's desire for reform was greatly intensified with the finding of a book, the Book of the Covenant. He wanted his people to get right. He wanted his people to change. He wanted to get rid of all the ungodliness that was prevalent everywhere you looked in Judah. But the moment he heard the word of God, the moment that invaded his heart, he doubles down his efforts. He's not just going to cleanse the temple. He wants to cleanse the entire land. And he is completely and totally committed to letting God's word shape his heart, guide his life, move him. And it was the word that changed him. The word that empowered him. The word that brought him to that place of complete dissatisfaction with the status quo. He could not handle the sin of his people the moment he hears what God's word had to say. And we need to understand this. He was already a godly man. But when the word was read to him, his whole heart, everything in him, said, I've got to see God honored. Folks, you and me, it's time for us to seriously listen to the word of God. It's time for us to seriously take this book we say we love and give more than Sunday to it. You know, the, when Natalie was talking about the table, and why would a doctor ask uh, somebody that question? Uh, there is uh, an incredible book entitled Traits of a Healthy Family that was written by Dolores Coran many years ago. And she gathered a bunch of people who work with families together and said, what are the things that happens that a healthy family does? And the vast majority of the people who answered her replied, they have family meals together. And yet, how often do we? And I talk about the Word of God a lot, and if you listen to much in terms of religious broadcasting, you'll hear people talk about the Word of God. But how often do we actually dig into it? We need to take that seriously. In the great awakenings in America's past, when we look back and see how people came to God in droves, there was a commonality, there was a hunger. A hunger for God's Word in the hearts of the people. They were ready to hear the message of the Lord. In fact, they were so open to hearing the Scripture and letting it change them that there were times they broke out in repentance in the middle of sermons. Before the preacher ever got through, they were wailing and crying out and, and praying to God for forgiveness. 
to the best of my knowledge, none of those preachers said, now wait a minute, I worked hard on this. You have to wait till the end. God was moving powerfully as the word of God was proclaimed and lives were brought to conviction and knew they needed God. The thing about us, we literally have access to the Word of God every day of our lives. In our land, while some fear that religious freedoms are fading, and they may well be right now, we still can pick up the Word of God virtually anywhere we are freely without censure. Folks, a lot of you have it on your phone. And you can call up passages of Scripture and read it. I have in my possession, the last time I counted, somewhere around 40 copies of the Word of God. A lot of different translations, all that kind of stuff. But we have access to it. And many just don't read it. Barna Research and the American Bible Society have banded together to do a story about the growing skepticism toward the Bible in our country. And they have pointed out that there is a growing skepticism. There, there are a lot of people in our country now who say they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, but they don't believe any holy book is. They are losing sight of religion and faith, and it's not important to them anymore. And as older generations begin to fade away, those of us who have grown up hearing the Word of God, as we begin passing from the scene, newer generations have no idea what the Scripture says. And they don't want to. And we can blame millennials and Generation Z all we want, but the reality is, folks, we older folks have failed. We fail because the Word of God isn't in our life what it should be. We failed because we didn't teach our children the Word of God the way we should. Do you remember in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells his people, when you get up, when you lie down, when you go out, when you come in, let these words always be on your lips. And we've allowed it to be crowded out of our lives. And now we have a generation of folks. So in our lives, those of us here who assert that the Bible is the Word of God, let's ask God to renew our hunger. Let's ask God to cause us to be hungry for the Word like we haven't been forever. And for that to be meaningful, we also need to more firmly be committed to the whole counsel of God's Word. And this may be the most important thing Josiah has to teach us today. You see, when Josiah's heart was burning for God's people, when he was set on flame, he wasn't reading the book of Psalms. He wasn't reading, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He wasn't reading, The Lord is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He's hearing the Word of God that condemns idolatry. He's reading and hearing a passage of Scripture that was strong and was harsh. It was convicting. It challenged him. 
And we need to stand and let God's Word invade us. Yes, I want you reading the book of Psalms. I want you reading the book of John. I want you reading the Bible as a whole. But folks, we also need to read Amos. And Amos is not a comfortable book. In the last chapter, he said, a famine is coming on the land and it won't be a famine of food and water. It'll be a famine of the Word of God and people will not be able to find the Word. We need to read Micah. He says, God doesn't want your sacrifices. God wants you to walk humbly before Him. God wants you to be merciful to those who are hurting. God wants you to live your life for Him. And how about Malachi? Can you imagine what would happen if next Sunday I stood up and said, the Lord has burdened my heart that He wishes we would lock the doors of Bay Vista Baptist Church forever. And that's exactly what He told Malachi. I wish you would Shut the doors of the temple. I'm not going to receive your sacrifices anymore. When I hear those passages, my comfort level begins to drop radically. And I begin to know God has something more for me than what I'm receiving. We need to be more firmly committed to what God is wanting to do. And when that happens, when we allow the Word of God to change us, God can use us to change other people. Because that's our second element. Godly people begin influencing others to awaken. People who have been touched by the hand of God will influence others. When you look at Josiah... Remember what I told you the prophetess told him. Judah is going to be judged. But you're going to be okay. And if Josiah had been any other man than he was, he could have selfishly held on to a personal promise that he would have peace while Judah was judged. Okay, my people are going to burn, but she told me I'll be all right. She told me I will have peace. She told me God would not allow the judgment to take place in my lifetime and during my reign. So I don't have anything to be worried about. He was going to be okay. And instead of resting in that, he just couldn't let his people go, could he? He had to reach out to them. He had to call them back. He couldn't be content with the word they're going to be judged. I've got to reach out to them. When we look at Josiah and we look at all the things God has done in the past, We need to acknowledge God has often used a variety of people to be his vessels of reform. You may be thinking, I'm not a great preacher. I can't be used by God. Well, you know what? Some of the awakenings in America's history didn't have anything to do with great preachers. They began with lay people. 
But even when God did use preachers, He used people like Jonathan Edwards. I hope you'll read that blurb in your bulletin if you haven't. He used people like the brothers John and Charles Wesley, the founders of Methodism. He used D.L. Moody, a shoe salesman. He uses Charles Finney, a lawyer. And all these men of God, they came from different theological traditions. They came from different statuses in society. They had different levels of education. God said, I will use whom I will use. And then there are countless others. No history book will ever record their names. But they were used by God to lead his people into a walk. So I ask you, who in our generation will God raise up to stand and be counted? Who will in our generation stand in the gap for the people of God? Is it possible that such a one is here right now? That God is ready to waken you up so that you can touch your neighbors, you can touch your friends, and you touch your family. You see, while we're asking God to move in our lives, to change our lives, to touch us, to take our lives and let them be. As we seek to draw closer to God, we must be open to His call. We need to be open to His call. John Corson in his study Bible wrote of Josiah, even though his own destiny was secure, Josiah was not a man who cooked back, kicked back and took the easy way out. He could have said, judgment has been pronounced, but it doesn't have anything to do with me, so I'll just cruise. Sad to say, sometimes that's our attitude. And he writes, someone might say, the Arabs in Libya might be nuked before too long. Whatever, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. War is breaking out in Central America. Well, that's the way it goes. At least I'm okay. And folks, I'm about to maybe get in trouble. But I have heard a lot of people in my life say, well, we're going to get raptured out before the bad stuff happens. So we're okay. I hate to inform you. There's no guarantee that America is going to be here when Christ begins the journey of ending it all. Corson said, The Lord has said we are to occupy until He comes. So what should be our attitude? One of intensive prayer for the lost. How many of us pray for enemies personally and nationally? Josiah said, I'm going to do what I can, and that must be our attitude as well. And if you're thinking, God can't use me, He can't. Every time I think that God can't use me, I remember the story of Balaam and a talking donkey. And if God can use a donkey, He can use anybody in this room. And I will acknowledge that there are some people in this room that I love dearly who are about as stubborn. But God can use us, everyone. So we need to be ready. God, here am I. Change my heart 
and use me to be changed into other people's lives. And when that happens, we will be ready for the final element. I want to touch other people's lives, but God, you need to do a work in me. And the final element to the beginning of awakenings that I can point to you historically over and over again, this is what God did. The need to turn from spiritual hindrances is awakened. When God is moving on us, we begin to understand things in my life need to change. Things in my life need to change. And again, we look at Josiah and we discover from this godly king that Josiah worked diligently to purge Judah and the remainders of the false religion that ruined her. He was determined to get rid of all of the false gods. Emotionally and spiritually torn. You see, before Josiah's reign, Judah and Israel both capitulated to gross forms of immorality and idolatry. Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, was a wicked king. He had a slight turn to the Lord at the end of his life, but overall his life was lived apart from God. And during his realm, the worship of Baal, the worship of Moloch, became predominant. And pagan religions invaded the land. Occultism, astrology, all these things had happened. There was a false idol that he actually had erected in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And what is almost impossible for us to understand, human sacrifice to pagan deities was practiced near Jerusalem. The nation was completely and totally corrupt. And even though there was a minor reform at the end of his life, when Ammon, his son, came up, it was just full scale. He was worse than his father. And when Josiah was convinced of the importance we've got to get back to the worship of one God and one alone, it spurred him on. He increased his efforts to cleanse the temple in Jerusalem, but he did more. He made stringent efforts to eliminate the pagan shrines and roll eye places in all of Judah. And he even carried it out with some of the cities in Israel the northern kingdom. He was particularly angry about the the high place in Bethel. When Jeroboam became king of Israel, he put two altar sites, one at the most southern area of Bethel, one at the most northern area of Jerusalem, and erected golden calves and told his people, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. So Josiah destroyed the, the altar at Bethel. He, this is a little gruesome. He burned the bones of the false priests who led in the worship and scattered the ashes over the site so that it would no longer ever be used. And for a time, about 13 years, Judah was freed from her past. So, 
we need to understand that letting go of the past is more than just an option. God doesn't tell us, you know, I think it'd really be good if you let go of some stuff. God is telling us you must let go of some stuff. For me to move fully upon you, you've got to let go. Now, obviously, part of that makes reference to what the writer of Hebrews said in the 12th chapter. We need to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Yes, we desperately need to repent of our lack serving of God. We need to repent of our selfish surrender to temptation. But I'm about to meddle again. I want you to hear what the Word of God tells us. You see, we need to let go of nostalgia. And this is hard. The Word of God is filled with passages that tell God's people to remember. Okay? We know that. But when God says, remember what I've done, it wasn't cling to the old way. A lot of you can remember a time when churches in this country were packed. And I'm pretty sure there are at least some here who think, man, I wish it could be like that again. Bruce Springsteen, the boss, one of the most influential rock and rollers of the late 20th century, coming into the 21st century, sang a song, It's rather powerful, and it's from a completely secular persuasion. But he talks about running into some old friends from high school and how all they want to do is talk about those days back when. And he sings about the danger of it in his song. Now, I will not say the very first statement is how you should handle it, but his song says, Now... I think I'm going down to the well tonight and I'm going to drink till I get my fill. Okay, that's not a good idea. And I hope when I get old, I don't sit around thinking about it. But yeah, I probably will. Just sitting back trying to recapture a little of the glory of, well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister. But boring stories of glory days. Well, they'll pass you by. Glory days. In the wink of a young girl's eye, glory days. Glory days. And I know way too many people in the, in the, in the body of Christ today who are looking back at glory days and missing the point of why the Bible tells us to remember. See, God doesn't tell us to remember so that we can look back and say, man, I wish it were like that. God tells His people to remember so they will remember God helped them at the moment of their need. And that spurs them on to believe God is going to help us. I don't want to go back. You and I are living at this incredible moment in time. Folks, Just imagine if we see the awakening of God in our generation. 
if we see God change this country right now into what it could be, I don't want to go back to leisure suits. I don't want to go back to 1970. I want to see what God is wanting to do now. And just in case you think I am flipped my lid, listen to what Paul tells the church at Philippi. He says, there's one thing I want to do. I want to become all the man God wants me to be even to the point of rejoicing in his suffering. And then he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to keep holding on. And in Paul's cases, he could have held on to past sins and said, God can never use me. But he also could hold on to past victories and become very full of himself. Look what God has done for me. He says, I don't want to hold on to any of that. I want to let go. I want to live for this moment. I want to live for what God's going to do ahead of me. And I'm going to keep pressing on. And that is our call. To let go. If it's sin that keeps clinging to us, or if it's a memory that makes us want to go back, we need to let go of anything that keeps us from being what God wants us to be right now. You see, Judah, Israel's failure to continue the reform of Josiah was not because he did something that was empty. The people did not ultimately let what was happening change their hearts. So we must release whatever is holding us back from a full commitment. Whatever it is, something good that we long to return to, something bad where we have failed, we need to let go. And who knows? If we're willing to live for the now, if we're willing to let God move in who we are now, maybe the awakening of God will come. Maybe we will see a change in our hearts, convicted by the Word of God, living to touch other people, living for the moments ahead of us. Maybe we'll see the hand of God move. I go back to Jonathan Edwards, 18th century revivalist. At the ripe old age of 17, he sat down and he pinned 21 resolutions. And he said, I'm going to live. That's what's going to guide my life the rest of my life, these resolutions. 
And throughout his life, he wasn't satisfied with the 21. So by the time he died, Jonathan Edwards had 70 resolutions to guide his life. And at the top of the list, he wrote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. And then to himself, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Now this was not a casual New Year's resolution that he intended to break. Every week of his life, he did a self-check. He regularly summed up how he was doing and how he needed God's help to move further. Well, God is calling us to actively work at becoming conformed to his image, to the image of our Christ. He said, with God's help, I do humbly entreat him by the grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. And that was his heart. Let us ask God today. Help me resolve to to yield my life into your hands. Help me learn what it means to submit myself to you. We pray for an awakening. Let's remember it's the word of God that's going to lead us and move us and touch us into what we can be. And we can know that God wants to move in our lives so that we in turn can touch other people and draw them into God's call to awakening. Then, We need to stand ready to relinquish whatever is holding us back. So today I'm asking you, in your life, in our life as Bay Vista Baptist Church, as the body of Christ, let's ask God to move among us, to renew us, to challenge us, to change us. Open yourself. Open your heart to the touch of God. We need an awakening. And we need it to begin in our lives.